Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 146. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And I am so excited for today's conversation all about negotiation. Now, this is a timely topic because later this month, Equal Pay Day for Black Women in America is coming up. That is going to be August 22nd this year, which is actually significantly later than last year's Equal Pay Day, which was only August 7th, which would have been tomorrow, which shows that the pay gap between Black women in America and the average man in America has actually widened year over year. So Equal Pay Day, just as a reminder, we celebrate it for all women on average in April. It demonstrates how far into 2019 the average American woman had to work to take home the same amount of pay the average American man took home in 2018. But when you look at the wage gap with an intersectional lens, it becomes clear that the wage gap increases dramatically for women of color. So when you look at the intersection of race and gender as it relates to the issue of equal pay, we can acknowledge that we have a long way to go for all women to be paid equally, but especially this month to acknowledge Black women, how much they're being significantly underpaid. And so when we think about what can be done about this, obviously we all can do more to negotiate for all that we're worth, but I'd be remiss to not mention what the National Committee on Pay Equity also recommends. One, we need to keep affirmative action programs in place to make sure that education, jobs, and promotion opportunities are open and offered to qualified women who've been systematically disenfranchised throughout our nation's history. Second, employers must examine and correct their pay practices when necessary. Employers can actually get help examining their pay practices through an equal pay self-audit for which there are guidelines provided by the U.S. Department of Labor. I'll add links to this in today's show notes. Now, Third, we can also do more on the federal level to close the pay gap. There's federal legislation like the Paycheck Fairness Act and the Fair Pay Act that have not yet been instituted. Now, while a federal mandate is not popular among employers, it may become necessary if employers continue to not rectify these gaps and injustices. Because in the meantime, while there are no federal protections, Those of us who find systematic gaps in wages between genders can start a claim and pursue legal remedies through the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And finally, obviously, we're here to talk about what we can do on an individual level. We have to do what we can to advocate for equal pay ourselves, including talking to both men and women about what they earn so we can go in with the best information possible to advocate for all we're worth and including not 
mentioning our salary history if asked, which is becoming increasingly illegal, by the way, for employers to ask during the job search process. I'll drop a link to one of my most popular YouTube videos ever, all about how to avoid answering the mid interview salary question. But of course, today's conversation is focused on what we can do as individuals, and that is negotiate for all we're worth. That means doing our homework, asking men and women what they're being paid to do our research. So we know we're not just in an echo chamber of wage disparity where women are counseling women on less money than we all deserve. (laughs) And in today's interview, which is one of those special episodes that I host a couple times a year that actually features a live coaching call with me and one of our Bossed Up community members. Today, I'm walking Lisa through how to prepare her counteroffer. Now, Lisa is a member of the Bossed Up community, and she was gracious enough to hop on and talk through her situation in a very specific way. This is the kind of negotiation coaching, by the way, that I love to offer but don't really broadcast. So just for being an insider bossed up podcast listener, you are now cordially invited to email me for spot coaching whenever you need it. I can make myself available for one-on-one negotiation consultations as needed, schedule permitting. The reason I don't really advertise it is I don't really do a lot of one-on-one coaching, but negotiation is like one of my favorite things to practice. So check out the free negotiation resources I link to in today's show notes. Also listen in on this coaching call to glean what you should do and how you should prepare for your next negotiation conversation. Let's jump right in with Lisa. So why don't you start by just telling me a little bit about the job position? Where are you at in the process and and, and in your career? Sure. So I will say that this is the first time since maybe my first, what I call adult job. Yeah. For me, my first adult job was after grad school mm-hmm. um, that I've, I'm proactively entering kind of the job search marketplace, if that's even what the term is. And so, you know, I really kind of took stock of my resume and revamping that and, you know, really thinking about what's important to me in terms of the organization and the culture that works best for me, what would support my like next phase of my career goals, as well as like my life goals and what I really needed. That was really kind of what drove me to really focus on the types of companies that would be a great fit for me. So I had to really kind of, you know, revamp my resume and the way in which I talk about what I've done in my career. So I'm staying in the same field, essentially. Tell me more about that. What field are you in? Sure. I'm in the nonprofit sector. Um, I've mostly focused on fundraising, specifically grants. But I've done essentially, yeah, I've done over the last almost eight years, the full scope of grant work. And I've gotten to the place where I have been the jack of all trades because I've had to be, <laughs> right? not because I've wanted to be. And there are parts of the process that I enjoy most and parts of the work that I enjoy most. And so I'd like to focus on those areas. And also I've worked for mostly for nonprofits and I wanted to 
kind of expand and kind of explore working for a university, working for government, and even working for maybe even a different type of nonprofit in the way that they operate. So really had to kind of take stock of what was important to me and and what did I like most about what I've done in the past and look right. for that. It's a really different approach than like, oh my God, someone please hire me. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's been interesting because for other than my first like job after grad school, for me, all of the places that I've worked at have essentially sought me out when I've, right, I've been very like grateful and very excited. I'm like, oh, people like want me and recognize my talent. Right. I've never had to, you know, since that first job, I've never really looked for um, a position and I've never really even thought about negotiation. I've kind of just said like, oh yeah, that would work for me or this is what my, (laughs) and I, yeah, I see this come up a lot and For anybody who's listening in thinking, oh my God, I wish I were being poached by a million different people. I wish I kept falling into job opportunities. (laughs) I can hear where you're grateful and that's totally valid. But there's a difference between creating a career by design versus by default. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us go through life and kind of proceed in crafting this career that comes out on its own, mm-hmm. <laughs> has a life of its own, yeah. has someone else who's steering the wheel. Right. And the process you're describing of all of that introspection of really getting clear on, yeah, I could be good at lots of aspects of my job, but what would I love to focus on? What would I, you know, what do I want to change? Those variables that I'd like to adjust, what would those be? What would excite me? That's such an important prerequisite to landing a dream job. People are constantly looking for a dream job. It's like, you've got to get really clear on what you want and then have the audacity to go get it and not wait for it to find you, which sounds like exactly what you're doing. Yes. And for a long time, I didn't even see a need to look for for anything because I'm like, well, there, there are people who will send me LinkedIn messages or people I've worked with in the past who said, can I refer you to for, you know, this job opportunity? And again, I've been very fortunate, but I definitely agree. It's, you know, kind of turning over the reins to kind of someone else to shape your career and, you know, what they believe you would be interested in. And it also, it speaks volumes of your character and your work ethic that folks would refer you in that way. But it also speaks volumes to know that you haven't negotiated in the past because you're in demand. And so it's about figuring out that way forward to acknowledge your market value and then ask for it or ask for more, mm-hmm. you know, and, and knowing that you're getting this kind of influx should put you in a really confident position to do it, but it doesn't make it, it easy. Doesn't, so, it hasn't <laughs> Yeah. So where are you at right now? Do you have a job offer on the table that you're considering? Are you between offers? What's happening? So I've been interviewing over the last, I would say, month, month and a half. It's really come down to, and and what I'll say is there have been opportunities that I've applied for. And through kind of initial, the initial interview process, I figured out that this may not be the right fit for me. Even, even <laughs> if that company has said, Oh, right. we'd like you to like move forward to like the next phase of the interview process. Right. I've essentially said, right. That's what I call 
interviewing the company that's interviewing mm-hmm. you, which I think I have a post on, I'll link to in the show notes because that is such an important part of the process. It takes self-confidence, but it also takes self-worth to be able to look an interview in the eye or look a company in the eye and say, I know that I could make myself fit into this box, into this peg, right? But I don't want to, and I'm going to hold out for what else is out there. And that takes a little bit of privilege, certainly some economic privilege to say, I don't need to take this Mm -hmm. job, but I think it's a wise choice for the long-term nature of sustainable success. I agree. And so it's been tough and I've had to think about how do I even have the conversation of saying, I don't think this is the right fit for me. And so I'm going to essentially, I don't think it's appropriate yet for me to move forward in the process. Yeah, And so even that I've had to like have kind of the kind of internal talk of, okay, like, how do I go about this? Mm. Back to your original question. (laughs) I've been interviewing and it's come down to these two companies and they, one's a university and one is a major nonprofit, but operates a little differently. Um, They have essentially their parent company and then they have mm-hmm. a charitable arm underneath. And I've done a series of interviews with both. And this week, interestingly, I decided to take a week of vacation from work. Just a vacation because I just needed a break. <laughs> and, yep. and, you know, for both of the companies that I was interviewing with, they were saying, okay, you know, you're moving forward in the next phase of the interview process. One wanted me to do an hour panel interview for my next interview. And one wanted me to do a four hour interview with various individuals. And I just, even with doing screening interviews and phone interviews, like job, I completely recognize how job hunting while working was, is hard. And so juggling that. And so I was fortunate that I had my, essentially final interviews scheduled um, during the week of my vacation um, by essentially just saying, I'm free this entire week. So this is what worked for me. They scheduled, so you had your final interviews scheduled for both of them this week on your on your vacation week. Is that right? Yes, correct. Oh yes. my goodness. How did they go? Interestingly, the, there's one that on paper in terms of my career goals and just the overall like culture and, and what I knew of the organization and learned from people who've worked there in the past that have said that was like their best job ever, that I was leaning more in that direction. And that interview was just interesting because as I mentioned earlier in the past, you know, it would be that essentially organizations would reach out to me and try to poach me. And so when I would have interviews, it was people were just very excited and really kind of transparent. Sure. I could tell during the interview how the interview was going. And uh... that interview, it was just all, they were nice and smiling, but I couldn't get a read on them. Huh. Even with like, me asking them questions in the end, they answered. And I even kind of prompted them and said, you know, kind of what qualities are you looking for, um, for the ideal, like, you know, candidate for this position and kind of tried to like get a little bit of feedback. And they were very like, it was like 
Tight-lipped. Yeah. Wow. Was that the university or the large nonprofit? That was the large nonprofit, oddly enough. Interesting. And yeah. Huh. And they were all very nice, but I could not get a read on them at all. So I came out of that interview kind of going, oh, I should have said this or I should have said that. And and also it was from my past interviews, it was more like conversational and this right. was more this was more of a behavioral style interview. So they would ask the question, I would talk, and then they would say, Okay. And then they would go to the next question. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> right. And this is the one you heard had a great culture, right? right. Like yeah. yeah. So I was just like, hmm, I'm not sure. Like it feels like it's like when you're on a date and you're like, I really like them. I have no idea if they like me at all. Right. I'm <laughs> like, I have no idea. I did get them to laugh a little at the end and I went, Okay, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and so that interview was on Tuesday. Their head of HR in the beginning kind of just said, I wanted to kind of just like understand where you are in terms of like your job search. And I believe in transparency. So I said, I'm actually interviewing at other places. I have another interview this week and it's my final interview. And he went, okay, that means we should let you know what the next step is before the end of this week then. And so I appreciated that. <laughs> and yeah. then on Thursday, I had my interview with the university. Hold up. Hold up. It is Friday at like 6.15 p.m. <laughs> East Coast time. You're mm-hmm. on the East Coast, right? I am. So did the nonprofit come through? So interestingly, yesterday, <laughs> I mean, yesterday was an interesting evening because within an hour of finishing my interview with the university, I had two emails from the head of HR at the nonprofit. And then I had another interview with um, with someone from the university. Wow. Essentially, you know, asking about, you know, cut, confirming some of my references. One of my references actually emailed me and let me know that they had been reached out to. Um, and so it was just, yesterday was a very... Big day. It was a busy day. And yesterday evening was just very within essentially minutes of each other. It was just emails from both. Two offers. Right. And so not necessarily, I don't, I wouldn't say they're offers, but they're more, I would say they've said you're moving forward in the process. We'll be reaching out to your references. Interesting. Okay. Exciting. Yeah. With the nonprofit, when I did my screening, my first screening interview with them, a few weeks ago, they essentially just said, we just want to let you know, this is kind of the starting range for this position. Okay. And they said, it's just a range. It's not set in stone. And I said, okay. And then with the university, at the end of my interview yesterday, they said, well, when we originally posted this, this job opportunity, we were thinking of this range. Mm-hmm. And I essentially said to them, okay, well, we can talk about that some more if I do move forward in the process. But to be completely right. honest, that's outside of my range. And I didn't tell them what my range okay. was. I just said, it's outside right. of my range. And to be even more transparent, it's less than what I make now. So they said, okay, we'll have some conversations with our, like, with our VP and we'll get back to you. So one of the emails I got yesterday, <laughs> about an hour after my interview with them, 
they said, we had a conversation with our VP and we have two questions for you. Could you send us some more writing samples? And also just to let you know, we're going to start like reaching out to your references. And they wanted to know if I could get on a call like today with like one of their like consulting firms that I would be working with if I got the position. So, but they didn't say anything about pay. They did not say anything about pay and if their their range has changed. And so I'm anticipating that at some point early next week, I will have either one that will present an offer. But I do know, essentially, I know now what both of their expectations are in terms of salary range. That's good. Can you share those numbers with us? Can we talk turkey? Let's talk numbers. So the university said their original expectation was sixty to seventy five thousand, and the nonprofit said their expectation was in the low nineties, around ninety three to one hundred and five k. Um, for the start. And so that was like, that's great. In my head, I'm like, well, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Those are very different ranges. So do you think, do you have any reason to believe the university is going to come within striking distance of the nonprofit? I haven't shared with essentially either about, you know, what I've been, essentially what the ranges have been for other the other, especially the other parties, they do know that I'm interviewing. And I've essentially said to the nonprofit, I'm interviewing with a university. And I've said to the university, I'm interviewing with a very large nonprofit. What is your personal line in the sand in terms of like, what is the number you're really hoping to get or exceed? I'm hoping to land somewhere around 93 to 95K. And yeah. so it's interesting because before the Boston boot camp, I told my boyfriend what my salary expectation was going to be. And I said, oh, it's based on what I currently uh-huh. make. And he said, why would you make your salary expectation based on what you currently make? And then I went to the Boston right. boot camp and the conversation about essentially, you know, you know, other asking your salary history and how that's kind of almost a form of kind of in a way discrimination and I was just like huh and so my boyfriend (laughs) enjoyed hearing that he was right so (laughs) (laughs) I like your boyfriend he's like what he's like no that's not what you should ask for this is what you should ask for and I'm like no that's too I'm like that's too much money (laughs) (laughs) yeah no, well, for everyone who has yet to make it to Boston Boot Camp, which you all should come to, you know, what I always say there is that the salary is not about you. It's about the market value of that position. So what are grant writers in large nonprofits making? That's what you should be looking for. So I'm 100% on point that regardless of your past salary history, your next salary should be determined based on how much that company values that position, not your master's mm-hmm. degree, not your experience, not your special something that only you Mm -hmm. have, you know, it's really about what the market bears out, which is part of what concerns me with the university Mm -hmm. is that they're a good 20 K away from being 
on point for you. Oh, yeah. So this might be a really simple choice for you. <laughs> yeah. Assuming you get an offer from the major nonprofit, right? Right, right. And I think when I did let them know that that was outside of my range, they said, okay, we'll have the conversation and see, you know, for the right candidate, we said we that do. we get right. So, mm. so I'm, I'm interested to see what they come back with. I am too. So what I would practice with you right now is how to handle the offer if it gets called in or emailed in. Because I just mm-hmm. had this happen to me with a corporate client of mine. They said, here's the contract. This will work for you, right? <laughs> and I feel like a lot of employers call and say, congratulations, you got the position. It's 75K. That'll work for you, right? <laughs> and they expect you to say, yes, thank you so much. So my one, you know, one question for you right off the bat is how do you plan to handle that call if it comes in to set yourself up for a negotiation conversation? Like that's what we got to practice yes. to really put you in a good position. So I feel like exactly what you just said. Like I would be like so excited <laughs> and I would just be like, that's great. <laughs> but I've I've been like mentally preparing myself and mm-hmm. I I had a little taste of it I would say or an ability to practice this in my conversation with the university yesterday when I said to them okay well I think we need to talk about that a little bit more Mm -hmm. because to me I would need like something in writing and I would want to take like a day or two to even just think about it even if I have the answer already in my head and so for me if either one comes in with an offer and it's, you know, around what my range is and what, you know, I'm looking for, I would ask if they can email the offer to me. And so I could Mm -hmm. like review it and take like a day or two to think it over and get back to them and getting back to them. The only thing I I would, the only thing I would adjust is also to, say that instead of you getting back to them, mm-hmm. you know, can we have a day or two and then can we hop on the phone okay. and talk about it? Okay. So it's more like, you know, get yourself an opportunity to deliver your counter offer. And you're going to want to do that live. You are definitely not going to want to do that via right. email. It just does not work. That's, that's what this is for. And I also would add in, it's kind of like a little recipe. Mm. I always say lead with gratitude. So they're calling you, they're excited, they offer you the job. They just want you to say yes so they can check this off their to-do list and be done. (laughs) So you're going to want to open with gratitude saying, wow, I really appreciate your offer. I'm so excited about this. Obviously, this is a big decision. So then you're going to want to buy yourself some time. But like you said, get it in writing. So you might say, obviously, this is a big decision. If you could send me the details in writing, I'd love to have a day or two to think about it. And then we can hop back on uh, to discuss the details Mm. of the offer. How about Wednesday? Right. And so just pivot to proposing your own time for your next conversation with them. Okay. (laughs) It is helpful to have a little recipe planned. Mm So you can refer to it when that moment strikes. And it might come via email. I just had a client say, you know, here's your contract. Will this do? And I said, thanks so much. I'm so excited about, you know, about working together. I really appreciate this. Do you have a couple of minutes to talk it over? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she said, no, not today. And I was like, come on, don't <laughs> avoid this with it, you know? So I said, I'm free tomorrow. Here's my cell. Call anytime. And then she emailed me tomorrow, the next day. And she was like, you still free? I'm like, sure, right. call me. And then we negotiated the offer up by like 50%. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> so nice. you you need that live conversation mm-hmm. to present your sure. counter offer. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting that you also say that because I would say with either of these, the university and the nonprofit, they've definitely at times like called me kind of randomly and off guard. And then there are times yep, I'm at yep. work and I'm like, okay, now I have to like run to like a secluded place <laughs> like, yep, where there's yep. no one around and talk really softly and walk the door. <laughs> totally. And I'm all about the pickup. You pick up, you say, hey, oh, Sharon. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm so excited to speak with you. Hey, do you mind if I put you on hold for a quick second while I go hop into a mm-hmm. conference room? And then it doesn't matter what kind of shuffling you're doing. You can do that anytime, you know? You can even say that when you just need a minute to freak out, (laughs) you know? But yeah, that's definitely a best practice, especially when they... Oftentimes, these offers come in on an out-of-the-blue phone call. So, you know, be prepared and have your phone handy. (laughs) So... I'm all, you know, you also need to prepare for the possibility of this major nonprofit coming in at a high offer and you also resisting the temptation to say, sure, I'll, I'll take it. 105? Yeah, no I've problem. I've actually thought about that. I'm like, should I, mean, I negotiate even if it's an offer that is acceptable? I think so. And here's why. Because they want you. And they want to know that you're an assertive, capable, leaderly person. Negotiation is part of the job, right? For being a leader, for being assertive, for being a good grant writer. You're going to have to negotiate with colleagues, with clients, with consultants, what have you. So it's it's a professionalism. It's truly a matter of professionalism. And even when money is not a problem, you're like, dang, okay, I'm going to take that 105K and I will skip my way to the bank. That is great. I would also consider the potential to ask for more on other components. Like they're not offering you everything they can in the first go round. So you might as well see what else you can get. You know, it doesn't do any harm to ask for more either funds or vacation days. Maybe you're going to take a look at your offerings and say, wow, this is a lot of money, but it's not a lot of time off ever or a lot of flexibility. And you can decide what matters, you know, most to you. But I would always recommend you play by this playbook unless there's like absolutely nothing about this offer you wouldn't take or unless you're backed into a corner and you need to pay rent tomorrow. But I never like to shame people for for missing opportunities because I've I've missed opportunities. We've all missed opportunities. <laughs> and sometimes it takes it takes a surplus of time, energy and effort. So, it sounds to me like you have that time to devote to this, so I would bring your A game. It's worth it and your long-term Lisa 10 years from now is going to thank you for going that extra mile to get that extra whatever it is. Awesome. So let's say the university comes in and they say, Lisa, we really like you. We really want to make this offer. You don't have an offer on the Mm -hmm. table from the major nonprofit yet. Because who knows Mm -hmm. if that's coming through. Still TBD. And they say, we've done all we can to flex this budget. We'd like to offer you $80,000. What do you say? Just really thank them for, you know, considering me for the position and ask them if they can send the details by email and so I can have some time to think it over because it is a very big and important decision. And then can we, you know, hop on the phone on Thursday to talk it over a little bit more. Sure. And then (laughs) Thursday comes along. (laughs) It's the hard part. And this is the real hard part that we really are going to practice because this is going to, this is going to come in handy. I promise. 
How do we ask for more? How do we counter that 80K offer knowing that 93 is your stated line in the sand? Where do we go from there? Mm-hmm. That's the that's the real question, the kicker here. And to me, it's another recipe, right? Mm-hmm. It's gratitude, always opening with gratitude. And then because it's been a little while since they interviewed you, it's about reminding them of your differentiators. Now it's not time to talk about market value. It's not time to talk about the position. Now it's really time to talk about Mm -hmm. why you're extra great, (laughs) why they picked you, why you're number one Mm -hmm. on their list of desirable candidates. Knowing that there is a list, you're up there, you're at the top, or maybe you're number two and number one said no. Right now they're in a bind. They're they're they've sunk so much time and energy mm-hmm. into this search. They want to be done with this. So remind them of all the reasons why you're extra great. And then step three here is to name your number, not a range, but a salary number that you would need to make it happen. And then mm-hmm. ask them if it's possible. Right, <laughs> shut up and wait and see the reaction. So let's practice okay. that little sure. formula shall we? So I'm Ms. <laughs> University HR Aries reporting for duty. And I'm saying, Lisa, we loved you. You're great for this. We can't wait for you to start. We've been able to you know, flex our range. We know that our range wasn't quite cutting it for you. So I've been able to muster $80,000 for a starting salary. What do you so, say? So I guess Ms. HR lady. <laughs> I guess that's what your name is. (laughs) I really appreciate, you know, you having the conversation to, you know, really try to get, you know, closer to to 80K for this position. And from interviewing with the team and meeting the school's dean, you know, I know that I, you know, will bring an invaluable skill and expertise to this position based on the feedback that I got from those that I interviewed with, the dedication that I'll bring to the position, my experience, not just in in grants and the entire processing grants, but my experience in terms of the types of grants that the school is interested in pursuing, my connection to the research that the faculty is working on, and so I would say based on that, what would be appropriate or I don't know if it's even appropriate is the word, but what would be feasible for me to be able to accept this position is 93000 And so that would is what would make, you know, be able to join the team. And so I wanted to know if we can make that happen. Deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel your I can feel the tension through the oh, microphone. Like, this is like a real conversation. Can you imagine though? That's why practice is so important. And Lisa, I want to thank you in advance for allowing me to to provide some feedback here. Are you ready for some feedback? Because this is sure. really designed for helping you. Okay, a couple yeah. things. One is make sure to breathe deeply. Right? Two, make sure to keep a smile on your face. It doesn't actually matter how you look since this will often be happening over the phone. But when our faces are nervous, we tend to drop our faces and then we tend to drop our vocal tone and it makes us sound a little monotonous. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's a way of like having an upbeat conversation and just making it a little more 
teamwork oriented. You know, I'm so excited to join the team. I think this is a really great fit. My unique skill set, especially the experience I bring with these particular kinds of grants that the university wants to pursue, makes me a really unique fit for this position. And then a couple other vocal habits that I picked up on while you were speaking. Mm -hmm. One is you have a buzzword that keeps popping up. Are you aware of it? I have a few buzzwords, but I don't know which yeah. ones I use. Your, your favorite right now is, you know. So I find you saying, you know, every other word right now. And it's just because you're nervous and you're thinking about where you're headed next. And for me, that's one of my favorite buzzwords. I do the same thing. Uh, the problem is it makes people almost, it makes you sound a little more without intending to. It can give the impression of being condescending, which is obviously something we don't want to give, but it makes it sound like, well, you know, you already know what I'm saying, right? You know, you know, you know, like you should know, which is not always the case. So I think deep breathing, a little more pause and landing your sentences like a gymnast is going to really take your counteroffer to the next level. I want you to be able to say, Ms. HR lady, I am the woman for this job. I know that my background, my experience with these unique kinds of grants that the university wants to pursue on top of my familiarity with the research and the way that I really felt connected to the whole team I interviewed with sets me up to really succeed sustainably in this particular position. So do you hear how my intonation goes down at the end of those sentences? You're you're being declarative. And sometimes it might take practicing punching your hand. (laughs) Punch into your hand when you land those sentences like, yes, I got this. I know it. I can do it. (laughs) Or um, even stamping your foot when you're practicing this in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we don't want to do those things in real (laughs) time, but they can help bring your intonation down so that there isn't a ongoing run-on kind of sentence like, you know, happening so that it sounds a little less confident. Uh, otherwise, though, I thought you named your price, you named your, your number, some phrasing that might be helpful there in order for me to say absolutely yes to this offer. We, I would really need a starting salary of 93 to make that happen. Or for me to say yes to this offer today, I would need 93 to make it happen. For me, the line in the sand is, or you might say my, you know, the number I need to make this work is 93. And again, you want to connect what you're asking for directly to the superlatives that make you amazing. So for the skill set I'm bringing to the table, for my unique set of experiences that I'm bringing to bear in this role, I'm looking for $93,000 to start. Shut up. (laughs) Right? And then it's about muting yourself, even if you have to muzzle yourself to say, you know, is that something you could look into for me? So you did an amazing first job and that first <laughs> attempt. I'm going to have you take a deep breath and give it another go just so we can see how practice makes makes permanent, right? Practice is what seals the deal and, and this is what we're here for. Okay. So I think I'm ready to already start. Okay. So <laughs> hi, Lisa. Oh yeah. I'll be, I forgot my role as Ms. HR lady. Yes. <laughs> Hey, Lisa, it's Ms. HR Lady from the university. Good news. I was able to expand the salary range because I know we weren't quite meeting your requirements before, but I'm really happy to report we got all the way there to $80,000. You've had two days to think about it. So tell me, can we can we seal the deal? Can we sign these papers? Can we get you started? Hi, Ms. Arch, Ms. HR Lady. I really appreciate <laughs> 
you know, the work that you've done to, you know, really increase the the salary for this position. And based on my conversations with the team and the connection that I've made and my unique experience with the type of grants that the school is interested in pursuing, I know that I am a great fit for this position. And in order for me to say yes, I would need a starting salary of 93000 Wow, Lisa, I'm, uh, I'm a little disappointed. I don't know if I can make that happen. What do you say then? <laughs> So I, right. No, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. Honestly, right. I mean, honestly, you did such a great job mm-hmm. on, on that counter offer. First of all, that was amazing. Like talk about improvement. I didn't hear any buzzwords. You were super declarative. You sounded so confident because when you're concise, it shows confidence. You know, when someone comes back at you with, I'm disappointed or I'm personally offended, that stuff can really throw you off your game. Because all of a sudden emotions are involved and you feel like you've offended them. So don't let that throw you off your game. Remember, it's just about market economics. It's just about numbers here. You're being realistic. And I would say something about, you know, I really appreciate the offer you've put together. These are just the realities of my my position that I'm finding myself in. Is that something you could look into for me? Because honestly, not everybody's going to be able to say, hell yeah, I can do that right away. She might have to go get authority from her higher-ups to actually see if that's even possible. It's interesting because when you've said that, my first reaction when people say they're very disappointed um, about anything is to say, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> not like, sorry. And like, I'm so sorry. Not even in a, like, well, right? I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. But just like a sorry in terms of, I don't want to disappoint anyone. So particularly if I've already started building a relationship with that individual through the interview process. So, yeah. I know. I know. It's, I mean, I said that because I wanted to talk about just how Mm -hmm. much that can take the wind out of your sails. Nobody really means to be harsh Mm -hmm. when they're coming back like that, but it's, it's usually a byproduct of their discomfort with negotiation as well. You know what I mean? No, like a lot of people are uncomfortable with these conversations and it gets heated when it shouldn't. (laughs) So if you do feel yourself getting that instinct, apologize, resist that instinct because it's perfectly okay to address upsetting somebody in a different way without apologizing. For instance, if she says she's offended or she says she's disappointed, you might say, listen, that's not my intent. I certainly don't want to disappoint. I want to make this happen. I would love to join your team tomorrow. But for me to do that, I would need 93K. And I really appreciate how much effort you've already put into this. But I'm asking if you could, if you can go back one more time and see if we can make that happen. Because that's what I would need to move forward. I would love to make this happen. And it's just, you're asking her to put in some more legwork and see if it's possible. She might say, I'm not sure it is possible. And again, I would fall back to, can you find out? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can you look into that for me? Is that something you'd be willing to look into for me? And at the end of the day, the goal is to leave that phone call with at least a commitment for her to look into it as opposed to a hard no, this is not possible. If she's giving you a hard no, I've only been authorized to, I've only been authorized to give up to, let's say she goes, to 90. Let's say you're only 3K away from a deal 
And so she's gone from 75 to 80. 80s gets to 90 and she comes back and says, this is the best I can do. What do you say? You know, if she's giving you those numbers in real time, you might want to pivot back to that first strategy of this is excellent. I so appreciate it. Can I have some time to think about it? Can I get back to you tomorrow and give yourself time to think? Or if you know that it's just not going to meet your line in the sand, it might be time to cut, cut it loose. And so that was going to be my question is, how do you even go about even cutting it. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm so glad you brought that back up because I wanted to jump in before when you mentioned it. Here's here's what I would keep in mind. You are going to disappoint people when you turn down a job offer. So don't expect to leave with a new friend. But when you're saying no to somebody else, what you're really doing is saying yes to yourself. You're saying, I'm betting that I can do better than this. And there are times in our lives when we have to bet on ourselves, even when it means disappointing other people. So you got to get on your own side in your own brain first. That being said, I super believe that we can do that compassionately, right? We can we can disagree and, and sort of cancel a contract with compassion. And a phrase that comes to mind from Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead, is clear is kind. Being clear with people even when you're disappointing them, even when you have bad news to share is the kindest way to go about it. So this is not a time to beat around the bush. You know, if you're calling someone up to say you can't take the offer, you want to get right to the point, but start with gratitude as usual by saying, I so appreciate this. I'm really sorry that I'm not going to be able to take the job and will have to withdraw myself from consideration. The only reason for this is just because of market economics. It really has nothing to do with you or the team. I would love to work with you, but I also have to honor my, you know, my own expectations and my own needs. I hope we can keep in touch, blah, blah, blah. I feel like it ends with, I hope we can keep in touch. I hope we can stay, not friends, but what's what's the right term here? Colleagues? I hope we can remain in touch as colleagues in the industry and I wish you the best of luck. That's all you can do. And they're going to have a deep sigh and say, damn it, I have to keep working this this phone line, you know, to see what I can do. Do you feel like that would be possible, doable? Is that easier? Is it harder? I mean, it doesn't get too much easier when you're letting someone down in that regard. But when you get right to the point, it gives them the opportunity to counteroffer too, if they have it in them, if they have the possibility to say, wait, don't go. Let me see what I can do. You can also have them leave the door open. You know, that's that's a possibility. Yeah, I do like that approach. And I do like the clearest kind. I'm going to keep that in mind for all things. Yeah, clear is kind, especially when you have bad news. And so I do feel a lot more comfortable having this conversation because I've already started thinking of, you know, I'm going to just be essentially have to turn down one of these if both of them come in. And I've already started, even though it's not, we're not at that point yet, but kind of started thinking, well, how do I go about, you know, I may have to turn down the university, even though they were very nice and welcoming and, you know, seems to love me, but kind of the, I think it's, again, goes back to that like sense of disappointment, but I like also really kind of thinking about, you know, myself and my long-term goals and what works for me. So, yeah, because in the end, I don't want to not disappoint myself. yourself. Exactly. You can't disappoint mm-hmm. yourself. And it really comes down to this. It's not always about the money. To be clear, 
there's an assumption that is underlying this entire conversation, which is that, you know, you've named your salary range as 93 to 95. And that's you, right? That's your decision. You've got a job offer that seems very much aligned with that. And you've got another job offer, potentially, I I shouldn't say offer, but a prospective offer that we're knocking on wood becomes offers very soon. And another one that is not close to that, really. And so you have to do some self-evaluation and say, oh, now that I have these realities that I'm looking at, is my hypothetical line in the sand as solid as I thought it was? And you got to go back to thinking about all that introspection, all of that work you did up front before these two possibilities were even on the radar that led you to that range of 93 to 95 and really ask yourself, if I take this job, even though the folks were really nice and they seem really cool, am I going to be resentful in a year? Am I going to be resentful in two years? Salary promotions don't typically involve $20,000 raises. So you have to ask yourself, why did you come to that range to begin with and decide how much you want to stick with it? Yeah, that's a really good point about not feeling resentful a year later or like having to compromise on things that are important to you because you don't want to disappoint other people. Yeah. Exactly. And sometimes, I mean, you might take the job that's better paying and say, wow, this is terrible. And I wouldn't advise you, I wouldn't advise you to just take the other job because of the higher range. But based on all your due diligence, obviously you had a weird interview and that's something to pay attention to. But you talk to people who said it was the best culture they've ever been in, right? It was was like a great culture. Is that what I understand correctly? So it's not like you know, should I sell out for this terrible job that I'm an, I know I'm going to hate for 100K? That's not this hypothetical we're dealing with here. It's really about setting yourself up to be happy over the long term. Do you feel better being able to deliver a counteroffer or navigate all those, those offers that we hope start flying your way soon? Yes. I feel a lot better. I was already having a little bit of anxiety with the entire process. So this conversation has really been helpful. Thank you so much. I am so glad to hear that. And that was just one back and forth. Think about talking this out with your awesome boyfriend, who I'm a fan (laughs) of, (laughs) or anybody, right? Any friends, any members of the Courage community like yourself asking for, hey, will someone walk through my negotiation with me? Hey, will someone go through this hypothetical with me and then role play it? I can't stress enough how important it is to talk it out, not just talk about it. We could talk about it on this podcast, but hearing you really give it your all and and get into that mode can make it way less nerve wracking when it's showtime. Yes, definitely going to practice this. And <laughs> I think if I told my boyfriend you said that, he would want to listen to this episode over and over and over again. <laughs> Just Good. to hear that. <laughs> I hope you found today's coaching call episode with Lisa helpful. I want to send you a little bit of an update since we last connected because we actually recorded this conversation a few months ago and are just releasing it now. And I am so thrilled to report that after our conversation together, 
Lisa was able to negotiate a $28,000 increase on her initial offer that she was given. And now she's been sharing this advice that she's gained from this process with friends and loved ones who have also gone on to successfully negotiate their offers up. So I just want to add that little end of the story in to let you know this really works and you have to give yourself the time, the energy, and the effort to practice. And you never know how much more your offer might increase by. And even if it doesn't, you'll know that you've done your absolute best to fight the good fight and put your best effort behind your salary negotiation. So big congratulations to Lisa. If any of you listening want my one-on-one negotiation consultation, I make that available on a very select basis, depending on my availability and the time frame that you're negotiating your offer. So never hesitate to reach out to me at emily at bossstep.org to learn more about what that looks like and how I can jump in and help you negotiate and ask for more like a boss. If not, listen to this episode, practice it on your own, and you can do this. I believe in you, boss. And I am so thrilled to hear things worked out so well for Lisa. And now it's time for today's boss move moment of the week. Hi, Emily. This is Andrea. I'm from San Diego. And and my boss move of the week was uh, asking and getting a promotion. Uh, Hope to hear from you. Thanks. Bye. Yes, boss, I am cheering you on and can't thank you enough for calling in with your come up story. You really never know who you're inspiring to do the same when you toot your own horn a little bit. So I appreciate you calling it in so we can celebrate you. Congratulations. Now, if you have a boss move to share or a career conundrum you want me to unpack on an upcoming episode, call the Bossed Up hotline now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. That's all we have for the show today. I can't wait to hear what you think. Find tons of resources and negotiation information for your use and deeper diving and practicing in today's show notes at bossedup.org slash episode 146. And if you found today's episode enlightening, make sure to do yourself and your friends a favor now by sharing it far and wide with the women in your world who you know could use it. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And It actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men, and it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak up, 
my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.